yes, I was, I thought about this. This is awesome. And I turn around and full on cowboy hat, cowboy boots, like dude is right there. Like, son, what the hell are you doing with my ATV? Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. Hello, everybody. This is Jason, and thanks for joining us on another episode of Supa, where we take a deeper look at the world of mountain biking and Type 2 fun. Before we get started today, I just wanted to let you know about a couple of things. We have some really fun shows in the pipeline for you, including next week's episode with Nick Ponzer, winner of this year's Iceland Extreme Triathlon and president of Criterium Bicycles. If you want to make sure you don't miss that episode, go ahead and subscribe to Stand Up Pedal Action anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. While you're at it, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review. And last but not least, if you want to reach out and connect with Supa, you can find us on Instagram by searching for Stand Up Pedal Action, all one word, or you can leave us a message on our website at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Before we get to any of that, though, we have got a great show for you. The future is looking brighter and brighter for American mountain biking on the international scene. And during last weekend's Pikes Peak Apex, we caught up with two of the rising stars in UCI cross country. So enjoy this interview with Riley Amos and Braden Johnson, where we talk about the youth cycling development pipeline, what it is like to race in Europe for the first time, and how not to fix a flat tire in the backcountry. All right, welcome everybody to Stand Up Pedal Action. Uh, today in studio, we have the future of American mountain biking here with us. And not so much the future. I was going to say, Josh, say, I'm pretty sure it's the present. Well, some might say the future is now. Yeah, there you go. Because these guys are already crushing it on the national and global stage. So we have Riley Amos hailing from Durango here, as well as Braden Johnson from Littleton, Colorado. If you guys might want to take it away and uh, tell us a little bit about what you've done so far. Yeah, my name's uh, Riley Amos. I'm 19 years old, like you said, from Durango, Colorado, a product of the Durango Cycling Culture and Durango Devo program kind of morphed to the the international stage. Um this year's been an incredible year. I won my sixth national title, uh, first ever American U23 World Cup victory in Leogang, Austria. And yeah. Yeah, we're going to come back to that. I definitely so, want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been an incredible year and still very early and hopefully in my cycling journey. But yeah, yeah. thanks for thank you for having me on today. Yeah. And then I'm Braden Johnson. I'm 18. I'm from Littleton, Colorado. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. I just moved to Littleton about a year ago. But I kind of got into the cycling thing through Nika. Like my brother like got into it and I started doing it as well. And then it was going well. So we got on the national level. And then it just was all up from there. This year I became, I got my first national title. And then I went to world champs in Italy and got fifth. So that's been my best year so far. Right on. That's fantastic. Yeah. We love, love hearing about what has already happened and excited to see what happens in the future with you guys um so what what's bringing you to colorado springs right now can i talk a little bit about that yeah we're here for the pikes peak apex a four-day uh mountain bike stage race in the mountains of colorado springs where i've spent a little time riding in the past with uh some usa cycling camps and it was a blast but kind of 
this is after our main international base season and so this is just a good chance for me to still have some fun racing my bike and just compete with some of the best guys from the country and yeah mainly mainly just have a great time riding some epic trails here in colorado springs okay but were you having fun today or was it just a suffer fest oh it was, it was a fun suffer fest it was good the uh today's stage was kind of a a huge climb all the way up to over ten thousand feet and then a big single track descent and it was kind of fun to feel like today was the first time in a mountain bike race I was like trying to pull my roadie head up a bit because it was kind of pack racing all the way up and throwing attacks and kind of covering moves and Mm -hmm. trying to conserve energy and figure out what was going to stick and what wasn't so like it was kind of a cool mix match of culture racing honestly of yeah trying to see how fast you can rip down this single track descent and also like playing a little roadie with some world tour guys so it was cool so yeah talk me through that what's the what's it like that versus say the leo gang like the cross-country olympic setup where it's like you're thinking okay this lap i'm doing x next lap i'm gonna take him versus just you've got one long loop that you've got to do today like yeah so we're kind of racing some i guess you could call it marathon style racing here in colorado springs so just kind of some big backcountry days um versus what uh what the uci the international cycling um world cup level racing for cross-country mountain biking is a bit set up a bit different kind of with a 12 to 15 minute lap of some steep climbs um man-made and natural descents so it's a pretty short lap that you're racing for about an hour to an hour and a half on uh, big mass start race, super fast, super explosive versus this is a little bit more drawn out racing, I guess you could say here. But, yeah. Yeah. Do you got a preference? I mean, my heart and soul is definitely in, in cross country racing and my legs this week are still there too. So oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you both seem to be doing, doing all right. So we're sitting at, uh, the end of stage three, stage three was today. And we have one more stage tomorrow, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm trying to chase you guys, but I'm like 40 minutes back, 30 minutes back. I don't know. It's fun, fun to see you guys just take off. I'll hold on for a few minutes, and then oh, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> it feels like these races we've started so fast. Like we'll start, and everyone gets antsy and wants to create separation in the group, and like. I always feel like at this style of racing, even though we're racing for anywhere from two to three hours, like that we are starting way too fast, but you just don't have a choice. Like you kind of have to do it. And then everybody spreads out the groups form and then kind of, I, I feel like they ease off a bit and kind of collect your, collect themselves a bit before it's supposed to get really hard again. So if you make the first split, you're good. You're in. And did you guys both make the first split today? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it was good. We we kind of started through this uh park on some gravel roads and Alex Howes like threw an attack 5 minutes after the neutral start was over and we were just like, "What is happening? Why are we doing this right now?" And then like going super hard up this like washed out single track trail up to this road that we were like, "Man, this I was thinking to myself like, I hope I just make it up this." Yeah. So, yeah. And that was 10 minutes in that yeah, that was 10 minutes ago. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> so did they chill out after that? Yeah, everyone, everyone sat up after that. But Were you guys pace lining all the way up Gold Camp? 
yeah, we definitely yeah. we got into I'm trying to think there's probably at the and... start of the start of the race there was like ten a group of ten and some people like trickled on because we were we were kind of everyone was kind of trying to decide if they wanted to pull or amp the pace up again and so a couple more like trickled onto our group before we ramped it up again and then it, one by one they slowly fall off you uh, know <laughs> who is in your group today um there was keegan who's been taking most of the stage wins all of mm-hmm. them so far um russell finsterwall lachlan morin alex house was there today we had ryan standish and then who else was there yeah i mean we had the two of us um yeah Orborn. yeah a couple other racers as well I think who else was there, but I yeah, think it was, was a pretty really stacked it. field. Todd Wells. Yeah. Oh yeah, Todd Wells, of course. Yeah. Todd Wells was flying. Man, how did that feel lining up uh, with some of those guys? Like nose to nose, you look over and you're like, oh, that's Lachlan Morton over there. Hang it, on. It's definitely crazy. Before I got into cycling, my dad mm-hmm. was always into it, and I remember like being a football player at like 14 years old, and I was watching Lachlan Morton win the t- Tour of Utah. So it's crazy just oh, yeah. be racing bikes with him right now and being able to challenge him. Dude, that's gotta feel great. Yeah, that's super cool. And you guys are definitely challenging him. Uh-huh. We see yeah, it. It's it's been crazy. It feels like they're obviously incredible, strong athletes. But I think these races are just short enough. Like they're so long for us for our style of racing, but they're just short enough that like it's a little too high intensity for short of a time for them. Because I mean, they're used to racing twenty one days for six hours a day. We finished today's stage, and we're like. What do you do? And Alex, he's like, I think I'm gonna go ride more. And we're yeah. like, What are you doing? <laughs> he was like, What? <laughs> he was like, Gonna go ride some more. So and he's like, Just getting fit for the end of season races. We're like, What? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd like, of course, ridden to the start, mm-hmm. raced in, then we'll have to check on Strava what he did afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you guys got started into the cycling world, like where where the passion arose. Yeah, I mean, I kind of touched on it a little bit um, when I introduced myself, but my dad kind of was into mountain biking a little bit here and there for fun. Um, and I'm I'm actually born and raised in Durango, Colorado. My parents are both from Tucson, Arizona, but they moved to Durango to honestly raise kids in a beautiful place. And I, my mom, I think I was in second grade, signed me up for Durango Devo, which is just a local nonprofit organization with with their motto being just to to get kids on bikes and create lifelong cyclists one one ride at a time. And so it was always just an after school activity twice a week for me to go ride with, you know, ten ten other kids on some of the single track trails around Durango. And as I got older, they encouraged the natural progression of, you know, certain things like little time trial events during practice and short track races with the Fort Lewis College students up on campus and so like you were just naturally introduced to to racing over time and i would do you know some 12-hour fun races that are 12 hours of mesa verde was a a race about an hour away in cortez colorado that i did with my buddies and so the racing aspect was just kind of slowly naturally introduced to me just through the the program and i enjoyed it i had a competitive aspect a competitive drive and started just to honestly learn a bit from people here and there about this pipeline of, you know, national series races, pro XCTs, earning USC cycling points. The fact that there was a national championships for the sport was like totally new to me. 
And so when I was 16, I traveled with Durango Devo to a couple races in Soldier Hollow and Missoula, Montana, and then flew across the country. My first time being across the country to the East Coast, to Snowshoe, West Virginia, for my first national championships. And actually, Todd Wells was my coach at this time. He was my first ever coach, first year working with him ever. And uh, I remember after pre-riding the course, I was having some shifting issues and he like connected me with his old mechanic that was there and like fixed my bike for me. And the next day I won my first ever national championships, like first, first try. And I was just so over the moon. I think that was what kicked off my, my love and drive for the sport and passion for racing at a high level. And so coming back to snowshoe West Virginia this year for the final round of the world cup was just such a cool deja vu for me. So, yeah. So if I heard that right, your first year racing bikes, you won the national championship first year racing bikes at a at a national level yes wow <laughs> okay so wait a minute does that mean that when you were doing those rides with the fort lewis college kids you're beating them before that some of them yeah absolutely but i was yeah there's always plenty of people faster and plenty of people slower you know and yeah. so you're 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 always pushing yourself and pushing others you know yeah so yeah 16 years old just racing with the, the fort lewis college team wednesday nights so yeah oh that's so fun we, we still do it to this day. Yeah, to this day. We try and make as many as we can. <laughs> That's excellent. When we had Nick Gould on the podcast, uh, we were asking him, what is it about Durango that produces these all-star mountain bikers? And what, what do you feel the, the magic sauce is? Or is it something in the water? <laughs> yeah, we hit a lot, but I think it's honestly, yes, we have a great great training just community as far as trails and location and stuff but uh i think the biggest thing is the community of people who who have starting back with net over and you know in the 90s who who moved there and first kind of pioneered trails 2000 a local trails organization that creates single track trails around the drango area but like starting back then with ned he just like we slowly built a community of people who love cycling and i mean now people from pace McKelvey and sarah sturm all choose to live in Durango now because of this community of people to ride with train with push yourself with um the Durango wheel club is an organization that puts on a very famous tuesday night ride in Durango on road bikes called tuesday night worlds where i mean you can ride with anyone from howard grotz to todd wells both olympians and um ned as well just every tuesday night just an hour and a half on road bikes around drango trying to rip each other's legs off so it's really just the community i think that is what creates such a high level of of cyclists that choose to live in and work there self-perpetuating system there yeah yeah i love it uh brayden how about you how did you get started in this world so how i got into cycling is my dad was kind of always into it for when i was growing up i played football and then my brother was kind of done with football in 2015. And my dad's like, let's start a NICA team for our high school. So we did that. And me being the younger brother, I'm like, I want to do what my older brother does. Yeah. And so in 2016, I got my first mountain bike. And then I started racing NICA, sort of like him. I just mm -hmm. came up, fell in love with it, just doing a bunch of local races, like going to practice two times a week, just with my buddies that I met. Yeah. And it was just like, from there, I got super competitive. I always wanted to be better than my brother. And then it led me to getting faster and faster. And I was like, let's go race at the national level. Like my dad was super into finding bigger and bigger races for me. 
and I was doing well. And then that same national championships that he won, I went to that and got sixth um, as a first year, a year younger than him. Mm-hmm. And then me and him both got on a team called Bear Development Team. And from there, it was just up and up, racing bigger and bigger races. And yeah, now we're here. Yeah. Annette, uh, talk a little bit about Bear Development, because even just today, there's an awful lot of your guys' jerseys running around out there. Near the top. Yeah, all right at the front of the pack. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, recently branded as a Bear National team, because it's kind of the national team of the U.S. nowadays um, for juniors. Julia Violich, the team founder and team mom, in a sense, has been running this team since 2008, but it's really just a a stepping stone for junior and U23 athletes to try and take, you know, a hobby to a, a career in a sense. So she, without, without the team, Bear national team and her support, like we wouldn't, we would never be anywhere near. We wouldn't know about this pipeline. We wouldn't have the experiences. We wouldn't have never gone to world championships. So the support that her and the sponsors give to very young cyclists is pretty special. And so I think that's why you see a lot of the, the top riders in the, and the U.S. go towards the team because of the opportunity it provides and the the culture and community of top cyclists to to push each other and be a family and yeah just to to have the opportunity to to race at the highest level. So wow, and that team draws from all around the nation, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. there's riders from Arkansas to California. It's it's originally based out of California, but it has morphed into a fully national team at this point. And what does that look like? You guys get to do a lot of team rides or other so, camps? Normally, how the team works is at the beginning of the year in February, we have a team camp in Marin County where the team was originated from. And that's kind of where you meet all your teammates for the year. And then from then on, there's a bunch of races throughout the year that we go to. And some teammates come, some don't. So there's not necessarily a bunch of team rides, but it's super cool being able to travel and like, have a family and make these friends. Like I have friends that will be my friends forever from this team. Yeah. That still ride bikes, don't ride bikes. Like this is one of my closest friends right here, Riley. And Mm -hmm. we just started racing bikes, got on the team together. And it's been one of the best things that's happened to me. Yeah. I mean, the knowledge that Julia has provided us besides just, I mean, what, what 17 to 23 year old kids, you know, that get flown around the country with their bike, put up in hotels and have mechanic support, feed support at races to like that, that doesn't exist besides Bear National Team. So it's like such an opportunity and we all stay together, cook together at all the races. So yeah, it's just a very special tight knit group. We're very lucky to have been a part of. Yeah, I was going to say what one of the things that everybody wants to say when they see somebody performing at your guys' level is just, you know, holy cow, how many people poured into them? How many people have already put energy and effort into helping you guys get to where you are? Do you recognize the value of youth cycling and how much you want to see that, like, that continue? There's so many moving pieces that have, like, built up to this. And to touch on that, like, I've always seen American mountain biking as, like, the underdogs since the early days like it's always just felt like we were always just getting our asses kicked at world champs you know we, we were always just <laughs> why the is underdogs. that because we, we were exactly. supposedly invented this thing exactly and so yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's crazy that we now have like i mean 
except this year has been an incredible year for Christopher Blevins, myself, and mm-hmm. American Cycling. But I always just felt like we were just trying to like break this curse. And so yeah. that doesn't just happen with a good coach and good training overnight. You know, it takes mm-hmm. experience racing at the highest level to get there. And like that's what that's the biggest thing in my opinion that's led to this success, you know, is it's it's a whole pipeline that Julia has really helped us. USAC USA cycling a little bit here and there as well. But I mean, at 17 years old, I got to go on a trip around Quebec racing multiple Canada Cups where the terrain and the tr- and the race courses were just so different than anything I'd ever ridden in Colorado on the West Coast. Like, just always wet, rooty, oh, yeah, yeah. loamy. Just like, it almost felt like we had a little soft bubble wrap around all of our, our races I had done in the West Coast compared to like it was just so real there and it's so real in Europe. And I wish I could show so many people, you know, what they're watching on Red Bull TV when they watch a world cup, because like, it's just night and day, like the, the sport difference, you know what I mean? Yeah. So did yeah. you feel that as well? Racing in Europe? Yeah. 100%. Like I me, mean, tell them a little <laughs> bit about like your experience. This is his first year yeah. racing in Europe as well. So tell them about yeah. your experience, just like getting to where you were at a fifth place at world championships. Like what came before so, that? In, I think, I believe it was in May, there mm-hmm. was a race in Soldier Hollow, Utah, in the U.S., and like you said, it was just one of those races that's like, it feels like you're in a soft little bubble wrap before you go to, like, Europe, and I won that race, like, first American, I think I won by, I don't know, a minute and a half or two minutes, mm-hmm. and then I got invited to go to Europe, and I went there my first race, I think I got 39th place, like, Whoa off the start line like i started front row should have been mm-hmm. good and it was just how technical the course was how steep it was how aggressive how many fast riders there were it's just like a completely different ball game like i got my butt handed to me yeah and then we raced another race that weekend in nova mesto mm-hmm. and it was just the same thing over and over again and so i went home and i was like if i want to do this like you i need to change something like your head your mindset needs to change yeah like, you need to work on your skills. It's a completely different ball game over there. So it was just like lots and lots of work, a different mindset of like how I'm going to go race. And that's like he said, what brought me from going from 39th place to fifth at Worlds was just like, you really have, it takes so much more focus than just racing in the US. So yeah, it's definitely, you need those opportunities to be able to go travel and get those things to get the highest level. Which yeah. Is- the way I describe it is in the US as a junior, I lined up at races maybe. 50 60 kids right all really fast best in the nation riders at a pro ct for instance you know and you're racing and oh you blow a corner and have to and you go off trail and you have to get back on your bike you keep going and you can still win a bike race without being perfect in the u.s in my opinion but in europe there's 120 kids lined up with you or behind you at this bike race that can all win that can they can all win like they're all there because their national federation has nurtured them brought them up to the sport and so every time you slip a pedal every little mistake that's a place in the race you know what i mean there's five or ten people to come yeah run you right off the trail it's just yeah (laughs) it's so much it's so aggressive imagine imagine a start of 120 riders and you have an open two-track section for a minute and then you're funneled into a, a rock garden single track descent like just like imagine the chaos of like fighting for position elbow to elbow like for a minute 
off the start before you're going into like oh a rock gosh. hard descent that could like break your collarbone so fast. Did either of you guys end up uh, flipped over in any of those this season? My second World Cup in the yeah. Mesto, I crashed out of it. Like that was my second Europe race ever, and I so technical, just like brain fog, and yeah. I crashed out of the race. Like you have to be next level focus there. Wow. And so, can you guys feel that? Like even when you come back to the states, does it feel like, oh man, this is cake, or do you still feel like you have to show up? I mean, you definitely have to show up. I just think there, there's not the same. I mean, I take that back because the Snowshoe World Cup, I mean, had an international field and the the race course was awesome. They did a great job with the Snowshoe World Cup course. So that I was, was really say, cool. That course looked gnarly. Yeah, it, it definitely was gnarly um, and had that feel to it. But I think in the US, there's just like, there's there's a really high level. But like I said, we've we've kind of struggled in the past a bit with mm-hmm. having this just a super high level amount of riders that can all win, you know. We we still have a lot of development and room to improve to create a create a cycling culture and a cycling and a bunch and cycling athletes that are ready to to show the world that the US created mountain biking, you know? Yeah. So Cause it's kind of harsh to say, but yeah, it's just, it's just different. You know, it feels like I was always just cutting my teeth there, you know? Yeah. So. Cause it's something, you know, like back in the day, soccer, football to the rest of the world, not our football. People often said that one of the problems with the United States is that kids are being funneled into other sports. You know, everybody's playing American football, everybody's playing basketball, mm. you know, maybe you're on the tennis team, but when it came down, like back in the day, when it came down to the actual soccer team, most of the kids who are really showing promise have been funneled into another sport. Would you say that that's maybe some of what you see in mountain biking up to this point as well? There's just not as many kids? For sure. Like, I know for a fact in Europe, there's like, there's towns, there's schools that's like, it's a cycling school kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, these kids just grow up doing it. And I think that's why the U.S. is getting so much better. Like... Like you asked about Durango Devo, like yeah. that's why he started riding bikes in second grade, just having fun and right. grew up doing it. And I think more of that, more and more of that is happening. And with the help of bear development, it's just more and more kids are starting younger. And I think that's why you're seeing us yeah. go up and up and getting better. I mean, you see some kids funneled into different sports, but honestly see a lot of kids that didn't enjoy football, didn't enjoy soccer or basketball. Like honestly find mountain biking and that's what's so cool about the Nike organization. But I think the the biggest thing is so much of cycling, mountain biking, road cycling is so based in Europe. Um and like we touched on the Snowshoe World Cup course. It was super awesome, super epic. But like here on the West Coast in Colorado, wet route riding doesn't exist. I mean it's just like such wet a wet doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like such that. a different thing to ride on. So you it's the biggest thing is getting that exposure so i mean i'm from drango where mm. like we talked about it's just it's drier that's just a different style of riding like it literally took me many trips to canada to europe to like figure out how to do it you know so it's just so hard to invest so much money i mean bike racing i mean no sport is cheap to do well at the high level i think high perf- high level performance comes with a price no matter what unfortunately but to get a kid a $10,000 bike, fly him to Europe, have a mechanic, a good place to sleep, 
a good meal to eat and to race over there yeah. is like so hard to do yeah to to fund that and so like it's just hard for us to go be competitive in their home you know to be competitive on their home court yeah is is, is difficult it's it's time consuming it's a different culture different food different style of racing so it's just like yeah that we're just we're just in a different place you know so getting that exposure is what's huge yeah uh, i i hope that this trend continues where you know with with nika and other state leagues that are forming you know we get more more development early on where kids know it's an option growing up that they can get into mountain biking and hopefully that will spur more more things like bear development to form to get more of a presence on the global stage yeah unfortunately like our uh our national body the usa cycling organization has struggled a bit in years past to just like in in the last five years to provide like opportunity to get that exposure but you know they're trying we're, we're trying there's there's lots of people who want to see us succeed and so like if if you're willing to work hard for it and you want it you can make it happen you know i i would love to hear what you guys think your your futures might look like right now like what what are your dreams moving forward you know you're both kind of at the beginning of already pretty amazing careers in cycling is this something that you want to continue to the highest level possible in whatever facet i think that's definitely both i can speak for him i think that's his goal i know it's my goal like me and him will go on trips for weeks on weeks and just train as hard as we can and we just like tell each other like we can do this we want to be professional cyclists like we don't want to halfway make it like we want to make it and i think that's my biggest goal is i want to make this a career and i don't know i want to go all the way through with the cycling thing yeah 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 i mean you see so many so many really gifted talented people who love the sport you know fall out of love with it or never quite make the most of their opportunities and take it to the next level i think only in the last two years i've realized that like i have maybe the potential and drive to to take it to the highest world stage and to do it for a living and so now this year it's kind of like the cards have laid so so well and then i finally have the opportunity to take it to the next year and unfortunately this is gonna be my last year on the bear national team but because of I, it is because I finally have the opportunity to to take it to a full time job. So, yeah, absolutely, uh, we're we're a hundred percent in. <laughs> I love to hear it. I'd also be interested to hear if it wasn't cycling, do you guys know what you do? Be a lot better at school, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> <Agreed>. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> try a lot harder in the classroom that's for sure so you're telling me cycling takes a little bit of time <laughs> yeah a little bit yeah yeah it's 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 hard i did a full <clears throat> a full year at fort lewis college this past year actually i just i finished my freshman year and i made the one of the hardest decisions of my life honestly to to take a break from school to really focus on cycling as much as i could and you see people who have managed to get a full-time degree while racing and I always pondered with the thought of like, like, can I do that? Like, should I be doing that? Or like, is it too much for me? And it's like, though it was hard for me to 
to accept that for me, the best step would be to take a break. And so I think I have, I, I really want to, I have interest in school and like, I think uh, someday I'll, I will come back to education and find a really cool career path that motivates me in the same way as cycling. But like cycling is such a dominant force in my life and such a passion that it's hard to, it's hard to put my time and energy into something at the same level right now, you know? But I guess that means you're all in. <laughs> yeah. That makes total sense. And yeah, like you said, it all in. That is yeah. is something that it's really exciting to see and hear about. Because there are so few people in life who I feel like are focused enough to go directly for what they want, to know what they want and go for it with everything they have. So I'm I'm really excited for you guys getting to experience that and take it on. And that's Britain, the same way you feel as well. Yeah. Like just, yeah. this has got to be it. So I'm a year younger than him. I'm right. still in high school. Mm -hmm. I still have the option of college and I'm thinking about it, but I'm in the similar boat to him. Like, yeah. we'll see how this next season goes, but mm -hmm. I'm definitely all in and we'll just see like how life goes, like yeah. what happens. Yeah. I mean, the, pro the problem is you have such a pressure at, at 18 years old, you know, of like this, how many 18 year olds, you know, you have... I mean, every 18 year old has to choose, you know, what they're going to do in life next, but it's such a, such a daunting image. Um, Not really. Some of those just become liberal arts majors and then you don't choose anything. <laughs> there you go. But I mean, to like decide if, Hey, can I actually do this? Like, should I be going yeah. all in on this sport? Should I be not? And really like having a backup plan with school. I mean, you're one injury away from like, never be able to do this again so it's just like those those things are so hard as a young athlete to 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 think about and decide what will create success for you and i've i've struggled with that a lot in the past honestly is finding the right way for me and not what someone else before me has done you know do you both have a lot of people speaking into your lives right now like it sounds like growing up in durango you probably have a lot of cycling voices yeah with you but yeah, have you guys had to balance that, like either from extended family, friends, other people who are like, dude, are you, are you sure this is a good idea? Like, shouldn't you go get a job first? Like, Absolutely. are there some of those as well? Yeah, yeah. Like there's always my parents who love and support me and want the best for me, um, no matter what. And then there's the other, other cyclists that you ask for advice from. And so like you, you try and pull from the knowledge of as many people who love and care about you as you can, you know? Um, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Same for me. Like my parents love and support me. They love the cycling thing. They know where I'm at. And like, they would love for me to reach my goal of like making it a career. Mm -hmm. But they're also like, are you thinking about school? Like, like I said, I'm a year younger, so I have a little bit more time to choose, Yeah. but it's, it's definitely hard, like weighing the options and seeing what opportunities come up and, what I want to do. Yeah. So one thing a lot of athletes talk about, um, especially in their younger years is the choices that you have to make where you hit a point where you decide I am on a very different path. I can't just go hang out or slack off or party like any of my friends or just in general, like my life is very different. You are all doing, you know, you're just playing video games or hanging out. I got to go ride my bike again. Have either of you hit a point where that choice got difficult? Yes and no. I feel like it's really important to balance it all. Like mm -hmm. 
I've definitely had times where I'm like, I'm on a trip and the biggest thing is school. Yeah. I went online school to online school as a sophomore in high school. Um, so like I've never been to high school. I went online to just chase my cycling dream. And like I said, it's a balance. Like sometimes you have to say no to friends cause I have to go train. And other times it's like, yeah, I need that break. I'm going to go do that. So it's really just a balance of both things and doing what's best for you. Like you can't perform unless you're having fun and like just enjoying life. So yeah. it's a balance. Some wisdom there. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly what he said. You know, it's just like, I'm a super social person and I have this awesome group of friends at home that are maybe into bikes, but obviously not the quite the same, same trajectory and love for it as me in a sense, but it's, always great to go home and have a good time hanging out with them, but also have some of the best friends in the world in the sport too. So, yeah, but yeah, he touched on it all. It's, it's such a balance, you know, what kind of things do you guys do to relax when you're not training or you're not riding? <laughs> go fishing. <laughs> fishing. <laughs> I, was, I was laughing because I was curious what Brandon's going to say. Cause we're we're pretty we're addicted to we're bikes. pretty yeah. dorky addicted to bikes. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we had a good time. Me, Brandon, and uh, one of my other friends, we did a good between training blocks fish backpack fishing trip for the day. We had a we had a good time. I think that was Brandon's first time going fly fishing, so yeah. it was a hoot. But I mean, yeah, I mean, wait, how did that turn out? Did we end up with any fish out it, of this? It or went no? great. Oh yeah, it was okay. a secret spot. <laughs> I wasn't taking in fishing where we weren't gonna have success. Yeah. <laughs> it was a secret. Spot. You you always have to introduce somebody to something the right way, you know. First one's free. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You get there them you hooked with the with the with the gold, and then they got to go mine themselves, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, hanging out with friends. Um, yeah, I mean, I like uh, building my truck out and going on some good four by four in with friends, and yeah, I mean, just seeing the beautiful place we live, camping trips, and yeah. jumping in rivers, and yeah, just good old Colorado boy things, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just hooning around. <laughs> yeah. Same for me. I love it. I love but, it. What, what does a daily routine look like for you guys? Like, how does training fit into... Yeah, you know, give us a, give some insight either into a day or a week or just, like, what is the schedule? For me, it starts with sleep. It's a huge thing. Um, you can only train as hard as you, you sleep, so... I'm always shooting for like at least nine hours in a night of sleep in order to, because if you, if you're cutting your sleep a bit, then you're stacking big, heavy training days and you're just like going into the hole instead of making forward progress. So usually waking up probably eight thirty, nine maybe, um, maybe even 10 if it's a really, really long night. But, uh, yeah, big sleep, good, big breakfast to start the day. Definitely don't skimp it all on breakfast because uh, normally I'm out riding through lunch. So big breakfast, some hash browns, omelet, egg sandwich, something like that. Um, get ready to ride as soon as possible. Sometimes it doesn't happen right away. Um, but yeah, go out and ride. Sometimes it's an hour and a half. Sometimes it's five. Uh, come home, eat eat some more. Eating and sleep is is the is the is the common denominator here. But then. Uh, kind of yeah take care of some emails see family spend time with friends work on the bike um yeah just miscellaneous things the ride always comes first but then yeah everything else fits in after but on a trip it's a little different as far as 
um if we're at a race you know you're you're waking up and you're doing doing what you need to do from a bike logistics standpoint and then you usually have a set course practice time during the week up to the race so you're doing that and then uh massage sometimes after the race and then yeah it's a it's a pretty simple life so you got to find the ways the the uh how to make the most of it you know very similar for me um like i said i'm still in high school so lots of sleep and then if i wake up it's like i might do school first might do a little bit of school i'm eating breakfast or sometimes i just go straight out for my ride but it's usually one of the two um but the like there's a lot of time filled by just working on bikes like lots of off the bike things too like before i ride i stretch i foam roll i activate like gym work that kind of thing like there's a lot of time spent off the bike but that all works towards one thing yeah and then yeah exactly you might spend 12 to 18 hours on the bike a week but there's like at least double that into making that happen whether it's like you said working on your bikes to stretching to activation gym work prepping food for your ride like um just figuring out logistics on trips and rides and things like a route to fit certain intervals yeah. like it takes a lot yeah oh it's, yeah there's just like so much that goes on just to ride you know <laughs> but yeah that, yeah he touched on it well hmm. Braden, i'd love to hear a little bit about this recent world cup race where you got fifth place how, how did that go um so after my first two world cups earlier in the spring mm-hmm. i was like i think i definitely want to do the cycling thing and if i want to do that i need to perform in europe like that's the biggest thing yeah and so just worked and worked and i just like i knew i could be there it was just whether or not i could get my head to be in that spot mm-hmm. and so i just i don't know i had a goal that i made and i just worked every single day towards it and i showed up like pre-road like with multiple people him like others saw everybody's lines yeah. and just i don't know it was a good day what, like, what's going on in I your just, head that you're saying you had to get your head right to perform that okay um great question i'd say yeah. like alpstadt nova mesto was like a big head explosion for me i was like am i training right like am I, is this just foreign? Like, what am I thinking? So it was um, you really starting to question like, yeah. wait, do am I belong here? Kind of thing. Yeah. Like, am I doing this right? Mm-hmm. And so the biggest thing was just like getting confidence. Like I can ride this descent. I can hang with these people. Yeah. Like I can start this hard and that kind of thing. And just finding every ounce of energy and every single watt in the race. Mm-hmm. Like you can't do that unless your head is straight on and you're just ready to go like like he said racing in europe it's not like in the u.s you can might be a little bit lousy one day but there it's like you have to be locked and loaded so i think i just prepared really well and yeah (laughs) you just showed up and executed started all right and then i just like i said my head was straight and i came through the start looping like i'd say 12th i think it was and i was just like all right time to go to work and i wasn't thinking about anything except for just ride my bike and i did that and just moved through i guess seven people and yeah ended up fifth (laughs) 
Nice. Uh, well, congratulations on that. Thank yeah. You. It's really cool. Yeah. And then Riley. I mean. Leo gang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that result was, was really special. And I think surprised myself a ton as well, but I had raced, uh, two, two world cups before that world cup. And I, my first world cup in Germany, the same race he was actually talking about. Um, I actually started because the point system that they call you up to the line, it's a mass start race. And so how you stage in, in line for that mass start is kind of based on a point system that you accumulate from, from the races, you earn points based on how you finish. And I had just moved up to the U23 category from, from juniors. And the only points that counted towards my call up were from world champs the previous year, um, where I got fourth. And so I started about 33rd, I think 33rd place out of, uh, probably over a hundred riders and just really went in with pretty low expectations. That's about fourth row. <laughs> yeah. Fourth row. They usually start eight, yeah. eight wide. So yeah, you got, um, 32 other people in front of you to start. And I, I went in with honestly just like pretty low expectations. Like I'm just here to see how this goes in a sense. And I had talked with my, my coach Jim a bit about how the best way to, to approach the race mentally and from a how to start perspective as far as like where to burn energy, where to be in the first couple corners of the race, because the race started on a, on a street, actually a strip of pavement. And that's a full 90 degree turn to the left onto some grass where you kind of wind back and forth on some turns before it goes into single track. So based on previous races on this track, we kind of had watched how off the start, how people move because you sprint off the start line as fast as you can. Everyone's obviously trying to get there first to the, to the grassy section where it starts to become more narrow. And we had seen how on this 90 degree corner, you're sprinting into it like 30 plus mile an hour. And then everyone has to slow down a ton to make that corner onto the grass. And we had seen how, the people on the outside had been able to come around the other people on the inside. Like the people on the inside had to slam on the brakes while the people on the outside came around. So I made sure to stage on the outside and then literally just my mentality was just like ride like you're 250 pounds. Like take every, (laughs) take every gap. Um, don't get pushed around. Don't let anyone push you into the tape, into a place you don't want to be like, take every opportunity and ride like you're 250 pounds. Like that was my mentality. And so like it w- could not have been a more flawless start for me. Like first corner, everyone locked up the brakes inside sliding across the pavement to make the corner. And I zoomed around the outside and went from like 30th to 15th, probably right there. First corner. And then like, winding across the grass, I was just like, Went from outside, saw a hole, like swung across to the inside, which then sent me outside for the next corner, came around and was like first climb in 10th and then just like had the legs to stay there. And it was crazy. It was just like such a feeling I never thought I, as night at 19 years old in this category, like I just, I didn't think, I mean, I wasn't doubting myself, but I didn't know that I could be there. And then all of a sudden I was there and it was just like the most euphoric feeling just riding the top 10 of my first ever world cup. And so, um, at that point I just was kind of hanging on and I definitely had good legs, but I could tell 
the older, more experienced riders had an advantage. And so I was just like kind of barely coming off over the top of the climbs, like everything I could do to like Mm -hmm. not let them get away. And then I would bring them back on the descents, which was a good feeling to feel like I could, I could hang with them on the descents. And so I actually finished that race fifth. And the next weekend was the second world cup in the Czech Republic. And because of my last result, I then started on the front row. So it was game on. And it was one of the most technical courses of the year, just like the most insane routes you can ever imagine. Like the whole course is just riding across routes that are like two to five inches in diameter, just like so rough and slick. Yeah. And it had poured rain the night before. So it was just like, it was wet. You knew you were coming in <laughs> and it was just going to be a shit show. And so like off the start, the start loop was super physical on pavement before it funnels you. There's always a start loop in these races that's like anywhere from three to eight minutes. That's kind of usually way more open and wide. So the, the fitter people can usually get into a better position, you know, before it funnels in a single track, kind of sorts everyone out. So like I was just surviving with every ounce of strength that hang on to like top five in the start loop. And then into the first ascent, you you descend down and then there's a split line. There's two lines on the climb coming up. And um, I, I think I was third into the single track. And then on that climb, there is one guy, Carter Woods from Canada, that led into it. And then the second place guy from Switzerland who was in front of me, Carter made the climb. But the second place guy, he like unclipped and fell over. And so, like, I ran past him off my bike up this climb and jumped back on and was in second oh place. <clears throat> and then it was just like, I didn't look back from there and I just focused on riding clean because making mistakes is what costs you the most time. And yeah, I just kind of, I stayed in second place. And at one point, the gap from third to fourth was like seven seconds on me. And I racked my balls on my dog tube. <laughs> on, TV. On, on TV. On live TV. Oh, broadcasted man. all across Czech in slow motion. Just like <laughs> stuff myself in the rock garden. But I finished second. And it was just like such a euphoric moment. Like, holy crap, I can do this. Like, I'm here. And like, I had struggled with some knee injuries early season and really hadn't done that incredible of training. So it was just such a... Like, why am I here kind of moment? Like, what have I done to deserve this? And then in Leo Gang, I went in just like, okay, I can win this. And it was just like this, the first time I had confidence to win at that high of level. And like, me and my coach had made a plan. And in the start loop up this main climb, I just went to the front and just lit it up. And I felt incredible and just pushed with everything I had. And was just off the front two minutes into the race. And this this guy who won, he actually won the world championships in the World Cup overall in, in my category this year, Martin from Chile. He was in, he didn't get to race the first two World Cups because he actually had COVID. But uh, at, at this race in Austria, it was, he, he was in second. And there was like anywhere from five to 15 seconds between him and me the entire race. I was off the front and he was in second. So... I would see him close and he'd get closer on me and you're both just going so hard to, for me trying not to get caught and him trying to catch you. And then I'd come in fully cross-eyed to some wet Rudy descent, just like, okay, Riley, <laughs> you have to make it down this without falling or making a mistake or you are throwing away a World Cup victory that will change your life. 
And so like that mentality was just like guiding me that whole race. And I actually did have a crash on the second lap, but I like just got up as quick as I could and kept going. And he, he never was able to bridge to me. And I just like was off the front of that whole race and won. And it was just like the craziest thing that like, I just won a world cup at 19 years old, the first ever 19 year old to win a world cup in the 23 category, the first ever American to win a world cup in 27 years, I believe like what, like why, <laughs> why am I here? Why am I doing this? So it's just such an incredible feeling. And unfortunately I had some, some bad luck and just some weird days towards the end of the season that I wasn't able to, to repeat a performance like that, that I was happy with, but just learned so much this year and and next year I'm just really looking forward to knowing how to prepare and knowing how to race and having the confidence to to win again you know so wow well congratulations again thank you and you mentioned learning a lot about what's going on um with these experiences I'd I'd love to hear just a couple nuggets of what you guys have learned through your cycling experience so far you just pick out from a life perspective from a racing perspective what do you let's go life perspective life perspective yeah what has it taught you i'll think on that for a bit (laughs) i was gonna say we can we can jump back to it another question i have is what are some weird or silly experiences you've had while riding Weird or silly. Like the most ridiculous thing. Mm, could be encounters with animals or strange <laughs> yeah. people or odd things. Your you never four-wheeler flat tire incident is pretty good. Remember? High country. You took the guy's compressor from his four-wheeler. Oh, my God. That was a good uh, yeah, one. A good <laughs> one. <laughs> oh, that was a really good one. Thank you for, for reminding <laughs> me of that. So we were – we actually – me and Brayden and a couple other of my best friends did a race – in Cortez and we stayed at my friend's cabin um that night we had a cabin kind of in the mountains near there and the next day we had this mission that we we're going to ride from the cabin on four-wheel drive roads and single track all the way back to Durango which like was I think 85 miles, 85 and, 10, miles feet. and like yeah 11 or 12,000 feet of climbing the day after the race <laughs> and so <laughs> after like a 50 mile after race, a 50 yeah. mile race 50 mile. And, yeah and so we started and the first hour and a half was going smooth. And then we got on the single track section that we had mapped out. And it was just like a moto trail that was really not meant for bikes. So it was way too steep and, and rough. So we were just like hiking for a chunk of time. And uh, everyone was getting defeated. But at the start of that trail, I had gotten a flat tire. Uh, I had punctured. And so I plugged it and I used... Um, my one CO2, because of course I didn't bring enough shit to prepare for. So <laughs> my one CO2. This was like a last minute decision yeah, to ride. This back. was like a last minute decision to do this mm-hmm. crazy ride. So I plugged it, used my air, was riding, and then like literally 10 minutes later, punctured again across some scree field, the sharp rock. And so I'm like, God dang it. So I have no stuff. We're out here and just like felt like an idiot for not bringing more stuff. Because of course my dad was like, you guys are dumb. Like, what are you doing out in the middle of nowhere with nothing? <laughs> and so I like rode back down the trail. We had come up from this road. And so, cause I had seen a bunch of uh, cyclists park there also to ride like from this parking lot. And so I was like, sweet, we'll go down. I'll find someone who's got some stuff to fix it. Um, and you guys, you guys just keep going up there. And 
I get down, and of course the the cyclists I had seen were gone, like their cars were gone, and so I'm like, God dang it, we have no service, and I and so I'm thinking, and I had grown up with the uh, ATVs and stuff, and I'm like, okay, there's an ATV in the parking lot, a four by four. I don't see anyone around, but I know that guy's gonna have a fix a flat kit in his ATV. So yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm trying to find. Like it's got like a compartment box on the back of it, and so I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. it's probably in here. Compartment box is locked. And like, ah, maybe he left his key on the quad. So I'm like looking around <laughs> under fenders, <laughs> under the seat. Yeah, of course, I find the key. This isn't shady at all. No, not shady. I'm like, if this guy comes back, so I find the key, <laughs> unlock the box. Okay. Um, sure enough, he's got to fix the flat kit, and it has a little air compressor too. So I like plug my tire using his fix the flat kit. And then the air compressor, I have to turn the ATV on for because okay? <laughs> it's powered off the engine. So I turn the ATV on and I have his air compressor and I'm airing on my tire. Everything's great. I'm stoked because I totally MacGyvered this and I'm like, yes, I, was, I thought about this. This is awesome. And I turn around and full on cowboy hat, cowboy boots, like dude is right there like, son, what the hell are you doing with my ATV? and just like totally froze have no clue what to say for like a split second and he was like you need to get the hell off my ATV right now I was like I'm sorry sir I'm like just pumping up my tire like I had a flat and he's like I don't care like you need to leave and so I was like shit uh, (laughs) like of course it just like happened so fast I wish I would have been a little wittier and just like how I talked to him because I kind of just like freaked out panicked and looked like guilty as heck but, like, the best part is I had literally just finished airing up my tire. So we were good to go. And then we proceeded to ride the whole rest of the route um, all the way back to Durango. But that was a pretty good one where I wow. thought I was about to get shot for breaking into a guy's ATV to fix a flat. That yeah, we've a had one. a couple things on this show that are in the don't try this at home. I think that one fits in that category. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> we'll toss it in there. Oh, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. Any, Do you have I'm any good ones? I'm trying to think. Guns? I don't yeah. think I got any. Ever been bit by a dog on the bike? Definitely kicked them off a couple times. I was going to say, riding in Puerto Rico, we were definitely had to sprint away from a couple dogs. Never been bit, but definitely come close. Yeah. Yeah. They love the shoes for some reason. I don't know what it is about the shoes. Yeah. I actually got bit in a race. That's oh, what he was nice. asking. Yeah. <laughs> One of the reasons. Nothing crazy, but like, I don't know, coming around a corner to like a moose directly in my face. Like, that's kind of. Oh, yeah. I ran into the side of a cow yeah. on a trail for just smacked into a cow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> nice that's great where was that <laughs> just just a high country trail where they run cattle oh, yeah. like freely and mm-hmm. just like literally just mobbing the sickest descent ever and came around the corner and just like couldn't stop fast enough and just front tire hit, hit the side of the cow you know <laughs> did the cow just look at you no no he like freaked out and ran oh, away okay. but like, I didn't get kicked luckily or anything you know that's good wait what about the moose what happened there I on it like it was a few years ago and I was with a buddy of mine mm-hmm. nothing happened like the moose just like I, I think we honestly scared him because we were like similar to him just ripping down the scent come around we're like oh moose like slamming yeah. on brakes like I crashed in the back of my buddy and then we just like kind of backed up the moose walked away and we just like hurried off so yeah. nothing <laughs> crazy but it, it was scary for a second those things are scary yeah I've came across a mountain lion way out there and it was just like me and the mountain lion, and it was totally like had seen me. It was hiding behind a bush, and it was just like this stare off where your heart is just like oh. pounding. Like 
what is going to happen right now? And it didn't run away. It didn't run away. It was just like hiding behind this bush looking at me. And so I just yeah, like got bad. off my bike. It was just like holding my bike between me and the mountain line and just like talking while slowly walking back because you never want to like just turn around and start riding down the trail fast. And so I was just like watching it and it, it didn't move. It stayed there. But it, that was definitely just like a I've heard too many stories and I, I don't like this. You know? Yeah. Ooh. So. Yeah. So another question we like to ask around here before we get back to major life lessons that cycling has taught you because we're still going to try to get there is we do a little thing in the show that we call best day, worst day. Like what is the best day you can think of on a bike? And I might have a couple of guesses based on what we've already talked about. Then also what is the worst day you can remember on a bike? Just something terrible that you just never want to repeat. He's, we have a good story for the worst day. What's the worst day? Our, our Moab adventure when we were 16. Oh, yeah, that's a pretty, yeah. Our, our eight-hour day. Okay. So, I don't know, what time was it? Do you think we started? We started early. It was probably 8.30, 9 o'clock when we started this ride together. Okay. So, we're in Moab, Utah, mm-hmm. and we're like, in In February. Yeah, February, January, so there's so still snow. So, they saw winter here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, but it's way better than where we came from, so we can, like, ride some trails in town and, like, train on the roads there all bundled up. Like, we came from full on winter because it was just like slightly better to ride there yeah, yeah i'll stop taking over your story and now. so we're like let's do this sick ride i think this trail might be dry <laughs> and so we just hop on the road and climb for i don't know a couple hours and it starts getting like snow on the road we're like i think we can do this like it'll be like two yeah. inches of snow for yeah. the first part of the descent like let's just keep going like it'll be good so we go all the way up and try and get on like the high part of the trail. I can't remember what the trail was called. What was it? It was Porcupine Rim. We were trying to do Porcupine, Porcupine Rim. It was good. from like the it's, top. Yeah, yeah. And uh, from like Burrow Pass, like all the way. Not all the way. No, but, we, okay. we were up Sand Flats Road yeah. all okay. the way. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, definitely not that way. But yeah. Um, but so we get to the single track, and we're like, "This looks pretty bad, but let's just go for it." So we probably eight we, inches of snow. Yeah. So we just start hiking through snow, and we're like, "Okay, the snow's not going away." So hang on. The reason we had hope at this point, though, was because all the south side facing stuff was completely bone dry. Right. The north side still had eight inches of snow. But the south side was bone dry. And I'm like, okay, I've ridden this trail and know it opens up across the sandstone in just a little bit. Totally south facing. Like, we're going to be fine. We got to hike for maybe half a mile and then we're going to be good. So I don't know how long we hiked for hoping that would get dry, but it was a little bit to make us be like, maybe we should just go further down and try and do this from a different like point. So we just hike back through the bushes to the road. So we, yeah, we thought about turning around earlier, but we're like, we just had faith. We were yeah. just we're like, we were, we were just, <laughs> yeah, we were 16 and 15 at the time. We were still young. <laughs> we were just yeah. committed to the yeah. cause because so- we wanted to ride the sick trail so bad. Yeah, but then we turned around and we're like, all right, whatever. So we ride down the road to a different point and we're like, all it's right. It's another Jeep trail that you can like yeah. intersect farther up. Yeah. Yeah. And and so it was looking much better. Like at that point, the road is yeah. basically dry. And, um, and like we could ride up yeah. this four by four road. that was like a midpoint connector. And it started, I think, kind of dry and a little bit downhill. We're like, heck yeah, this is sick. Come around the corner to just the most massive hill, and it was all snow. And we hiked for, I don't know, how long do you think we hiked for? 
we hiked for probably an Cup. hour and a half yeah. because like we could to see, get to Porky we Pine could Rim. see where we oh were my going gosh. we just could to... see where we had to get to and it was bone dry oh, and man. we were still committed at this point so we hiked an <laughs> so hour probably, and a half it's probably three o'clock at this point and we had ridden maybe like 15 miles and hiked for a total of like three hours with our bikes yeah and then finally got to porcupine and it wasn't dry we're like, yeah. it'll be, it'll be. <laughs> it was covered in snow. But we were way too far in to turn around so at that point. Like, Let's keep we going. We just got to hike down the trail until it gets better. And I don't think it ever really got dry. <laughs> yeah. Like at all. <laughs> like lots wow. of hiking the whole time. And it's just getting later and later. Yeah. And then just like the classic t- took a wrong turn, gets lost. It's like all snow. We're yeah. not on the right trail. And it was like. Like, it's winter, so it gets dark early. And it was probably, like, 5.30 at this point. And we're also cold. We're f- it's starting to get cold again. Yeah. Like oh, my god. It's gosh. not quite warm enough. No service. And, like, his dad had just driven us to Moab. And, like, we're in a hotel room with just his dad. And so his dad's probably like, where the heck? Because we are supposed to be back, like, three hours earlier. And at that point, we, like, had a little fear, too. Like, like are we going to make it? Like, his, are we gonna I think make his it phone out before was dead. Dark. Like, yeah, my phone is dead because I've been trying to figure out how to get out with trail forks and i didn't have trail forks so with no service we tried to download trail forks and downloaded <laughs> he looked we found the trail because we were lost at this yeah, point too got on it it was still snowy but we just like try to go as fast as we can through the snow and just and get it done finally the last like three or four miles yeah was dry yeah. finally but this is like with a little we, ice patches though yeah. on the rocks it was really scary well, this is like probably 20 minutes till dark like the sun was down and like, like 30 degrees probably it's cold and we were like we had felt the fear for a little bit but we just didn't have any choice but just keep going but it's like definitely a little bit of the survivor mode at 15 and 16 years old and we finished at like <laughs> basically seven o'clock oh and his dad gosh. was waiting at the bottom with no we had not communicated anything no phone call no nothing and his dad was waiting at the bottom it's just like you idiots <laughs> <laughs> so that's, a, that's a pretty bad day on the bike yeah i mean that sounds pretty awful yeah we were out there a while. We learned our lesson. Did you still have some fun though? That was, those last three miles, they well, they were they were never better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh man. Agreed. Nice. That's a solid worst day for both of you. Yeah. What about what about some best days? I mean, obviously Leo Gang was a highlight, but honestly, just some of my best days are like just doing four or five hour rides with my best friends on my favorite trails in the high country, you know, like you just bring up fanny pack full of snacks, a water filter and just like do 50 miles Jump in above some creeks. Yeah. You just do 50 miles above like nine, 10,000 feet on like the most pristine Alpine single track. And just like, yeah, it's just those, those days are just the ones you never, never forget, you know? Yeah. I hear you. Same for me. That's our go to just go yeah. to Durango, go somewhere and just do some epic rides and, have some fun like our most recent one i think training for worlds we started in purgatory climbed up to i don't know twelve thousand feet probably eleven thousand feet rode a super sick trail down to the next valley called rico right yeah there's a small, t- there's a small town of rico. Yeah. yeah and we get to this gas station like i had to go pee and we're like hungry but none of us brought wallets no, of neither course of us. we forgot a car. we're like dang yeah. no food i guess we'll have to because we were planning on refueling there yeah oh, yeah man. and so but there was a taco truck for some reason in this tiny mountain town. There's a taco yeah. truck. So in we Rico. go to the taco in Rico, truck. There's guy. a little taco truck parked right. at the gas station. Yeah. Good we, to know. So we go up to this guy and we're like, 
can we Venmo you for a couple tacos? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we Venmo them, ate some tacos in a mountain town, and just rode our... And then just back over the huge mountain. Yeah. Like yes. another 3,000 like, foot climb back up and that's over. That's a good dad. So. Yeah. Wow. Some tacos in a mountain town. <laughs> well, we definitely want to respect your time, and thank you for, for joining us so far. Uh, have you had any uh, any last thoughts with some nuggets of wisdom that you've you've gleaned over the years? Yeah, I mean, definitely it's just like, it's taught me to have so much confidence in myself, you know, because there, there's obviously a difference between, you know, cockiness and confidence. But when you have confidence in yourself and your abilities of what you can do, even if you d- fall short of, of, of your goals, but you execute to the best of your ability with confidence, like you, you just gain so much faith in yourself and what you're capable of. But also just besides life lessons, just like cycling has given me so much, like has just given me the world from people, seeing places, opportunities, the best times I've had on a bike um, to, to now a career that's just like, it's so incredible. And I, and I look forward to figuring out how to just share that more with, with people and hopefully someday be a part of developing the next generation of cyclists as well. So. Very similar to him, just like the community and like just all the things that you learn. But for me, I feel like I know cycling is definitely different. There's a lot of fun to it, but just like the, I'm forgetting the word for it, but just like the way I've learned how to work. And just like work ethic, I, yeah, yeah, my work that work ethic, <laughs> words, yeah. Um, but just like if I put in this much time into something, I can get these results, and just like the confidence you get from those kind of things. And so I feel like I can if I apply the amount of effort I do into cycling into Absolutely, other things, yeah. I can achieve like a lot. And so that was one of the biggest things that I've learned. Yeah, for the last couple of years, it teaches you such grit and determination yeah. and a work ethic. You know you. You hear about people talk about that people are so lazy nowadays and things, you know, but yeah. if, if you can push your limits and succeed in for yourself in cycling, you know, that will carry over to anything you do in life. You know, I, I feel like I can be such a better person in so many different fields and just because of the, the confidence and the work ethic you've learned through cycling, like you said, you know. I also feel just like in life in general, it's just like with this opportunity that we've gotten, we've been able to like mature a lot earlier. We were like him. Um, he got to travel to Canada when he was like 16 or 17 years oh, old. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I got to go to Europe when I was 17 years old. And like my flight, like I couldn't get on the flight because I had the wrong COVID test. And just learning those types of things, like I had to yeah. figure out how to get back to the how, U.S. How to figure out how to get yeah. 2,000, 3,000 miles away yourself in another country like you got to grow up real yeah. quick <laughs> yeah so yeah wow well thank you guys so much for for sharing little bits of your stories and joining us here today it's it's really fun just to to hear where you've been and where you're hoping to go and i i wish you all the best really excited to line up with you on the start line tomorrow I won't see you for very long, but yeah. it's still great. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you having yeah. us. It's it's not often you get to like fully touch on all these subjects. So appreciate you yeah. having us. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it a lot. 
If you want to know more about stand-up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.